Third week in our study in the book of Titus. It's a short little book, but it's a great little book. Just a simple book to tell us this is how the church is supposed to be running. And why does the church need to be organized? Because look at verse 5. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking. Things that are lacking. Now, that word we mentioned last week, that is a medical term, which means a bone out of joint. Sometimes the church feels that way. All the pieces are there. It's just out of joint. It's just not working the way it should be. So Paul sends Titus to the island of Crete to say, hey, get this church in order through the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a difficult church to get in order. Why? Jump down, if you will, to verse 12, same chapter. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. This is a church that needed to be set in order. So a short three-chapter book on how the church is supposed to look and how the church is supposed to run. What's the first step is going back to verse 1 and understanding we're called to be bond servants. We just serve Jesus. The longer I walk with the Lord, Don and I were texting about some stuff here this week. The longer I walk with the Lord, the more I realize there is no on time, off time, whatever. You just serve Jesus 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It just doesn't matter what's going on. And that's what you do. You just serve him. We're bond servants. It's not my life. It's his life. We use this term free time. Well, Lord, it's your time. It's all yours. What can I do for you today? And that's what I want to do. So they're bond servants. And now these people that the Lord has called up to be used in the church, we went through last week, in verses 5 through 9, the different qualities that God is looking for in spiritual leadership. Some of them apply only to spiritual leadership, but most of them apply to just us as believers. So if you weren't with us last week, I encourage you to get a copy of that. We just literally go through them one by one. This is what God is looking for you as a man and as a woman of the Lord. What does it look like to be this person? Now, we left off with verse 9. Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Now it takes a little bit of a turn. We have the leadership in place. We know what they're supposed to be doing. Well, now what do we need to do? We need to do verse 9. Stick to the word. Stick to the word that we have been taught. And what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to exhort and convict those who contradict. That is what we're supposed to do, is use God's word as the basis. Let's talk about this, if you will. Would you go with me real quick, please, to 2 Timothy 4? We need to understand what these words mean. Sound doctrine, exhort, convict. What does it mean to truly be based on the word of God? 2 Timothy, please. Actually, we're going to back up and go 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll get into chapter 4. I cannot stress to you enough the importance of just making sure you're focused on the Word of God. As an individual, but also as a church. That has to be our foundation of everything we have to say and everything we do. Isaiah the prophet, when speaking about the law, he says this. To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Boy, isn't that the truth? If they do not speak according to this word, it's because there's no light in them. If they're not following the word of God, they're walking in darkness, they're teaching in darkness. That's why it's so important for us to have this foundation. So, using our springboard of Titus, what does it mean to convict? What does doctrine look like? 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. One of the most important words there, you probably skip over and I do too, is verse 16, the first word, all. 
all Scripture. We believe and teach from Genesis to Revelation that this is the holy, inspired Word of God. So therefore, every aspect of this is usable. Now, it may not work for every situation because each situation is unique, but every verse in there fits something that you're going through. I firmly believe that. And every passage is usable for the situation where the Lord is called and to be used. So with that being said, what does it mean? It's First off, it's given by inspiration of God. It says in the book of Peter there that these holy men of God were led by the Holy Spirit. We believe that when the Holy Spirit led these men to write this book, that these books were written, and as pen-touched paper, that was the holy inspired word of God. And it's profitable. That's what we want. We want profit. We want to grow. We want to learn from this. So how is it profitable for us? Well, there's four things. Profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction. Some of your translations read a little bit differently. Some say for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training. What does it mean? First one, for doctrine. Doctrine just means teaching. It means teaching truth, not opinion. So when you look at God's word, you're teaching truth. You're not teaching opinion. That is why I think it's so important to be so focused on the word of God with teaching. Because I know from a teaching standpoint, I can look at one verse... And I could talk about one verse, and then all of a sudden my opinions can just take over for the next half hour. Now, you stick to the scriptures, and you let the Bible defend the Bible. You let the Bible explain the Bible. So do you want to know what's right and wrong in this world? You go back to the Bible, because that gives you truth. It gives you doctrine. It gives you teaching. So therefore, I don't have to sit here and wonder, is that action right or wrong? Should I be doing this or not? Is this what as a society we're supposed to be doing? I have the doctrine of God's word that teaches truth, so I know what the right thing to do is. So what happens when you don't follow doctrine? Well, now you get to the next word. Reproof. Rebuke. This is where you have to come. And you have to correct certain actions. Somebody is doing something that is not biblical. We reproof. We rebuke them. We correct that action by saying that action is wrong. Well, how do I know it's wrong? Because it does not line up with the doctrine. What about the next one? Correction. Correction is correcting how we think and how we look at situations. Correction is training us and teaching us to think about things through an eternal perspective. To think about it through the lens of God. And the last one, instruction, instruction or training, is teaching us how to live it. How to live it. So put this into perspective. Doctrine is teaching truth, not opinion. Reproof is telling you how to act. Correction is telling you how to think it. And then instruction is saying, now apply it to your life and live it. Now you need all four. Now if you don't get the first one down, doctrine, then how are you ever going to know what to rebuke? How are you ever going to know what's right or wrong? That's what's happening in the world today. There is not a foundation of doctrine or truth. So therefore, you have your own truth, I have my own truth, and so whose truth is right? God's word is truth. Always remember this. There's three truths in the Bible. The Holy Spirit is truth, Jesus is truth, God's word is truth. You've got to get that down. Now that I know what truth is, I can now reproof. I can now rebuke those actions that are not correct. Now that I know what doctrine is, I can correct my line of thinking. And now that I know what doctrine is, I can have instruction on how I'm supposed to go live my life. The result of this, verse 17, I'm perfect, complete. Perfect does not mean without sin. It means that you are complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Since I have God's word, I know how to handle every situation that comes my way. Why do we need this? Just real quick, go into chapter 4. 
I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who would judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Do you not think that verse 3 is happening right now? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they'll turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. People don't want truth anymore. They want to just believe what they want to believe, and they want people to back up and defend what they want to believe. We can't do that. We have a doctrine that tells us truth. So I therefore need to rebuke when people are not in that doctrine. We need to correct when people are not in that doctrine. We need to instruct when people are not in that doctrine. I need to do it for myself personally, and we also need to do it to the body of Christ. That is not a fun thing to do. It is never a fun thing to go rebuke somebody. It's not enjoyable. But it needs to be done sometimes. It's not fun to correct It's not fun to go and try to instruct sometimes when they don't want to hear it. But that is the basis we know of doctrine. And this is what Paul was telling Titus. you got to do this. That's one of the sound qualities of a church is that you're willing to take a stand on truth and not bend or break on it. So now that we have that foundation, any quick questions, comments about understanding truth, understanding doctrine? See, when you think of doctrine, you always think of theology. Well, it is theology, but doctrine is truth. Yeah, Megan. Mm-hmm. Okay, they get very excited. Correct. If I say, well, I think this says this, they oh, okay. Is that still wrong? No, it's not wrong. You're still speaking truth. But I think at the same time, I think it's important to make sure that they understand where that truth is coming from. Because if you just present it as I think, there's nothing wrong with your statement because that is what you think and you get that from the Bible. But they need to know the source of that. And the source of that is from biblical truth. The reason they get angry and upset, the Bible says, is because you're shining a flashlight in their darkness. And when you shine a flashlight in the darkness, everything scatters. They don't like that flashlight being shined into their lives. And as that's being shined into their lives, it reveals sin, and sin has to be dealt with. So that's why people don't like it when we say, well, the Bible says. But the truth is, this is what the Bible says. If I just go present it and saying, I think, even though I'm speaking biblical truth, that's good. And I encourage you, do that. But don't be afraid to say what the Bible says. If they get angry, it just reveals their heart. Each situation is unique, and you've got to let the Holy Spirit lead and guide and direct. There's times when the Lord says, take a stand, open your mouth. There's other times the Lord says, you don't throw pearls to swine, just be done and walk away. Each situation is absolutely unique. Um, I, I mean, I can think back to the times I've had conversations with people, and I thought, you know what, this person is going to get mad. They're going to get really angry. But this truth needs to be presented. There's other times where I felt like the Lord said, James, let it go. Just let it go. Jesus is the best example of this. Jesus stands before Pontius Pilate and sometimes doesn't say a word. Other times he does. Jesus goes and stands before Herod and doesn't say a single thing. Now think about that. From a Christian perspective, Jesus, you're standing before Herod the king. Why would you take that opportunity to proclaim who you are? Jesus knew Herod wouldn't listen. Pontius Pilate asked a very poignant question to Jesus. He says, what is truth? And what was Jesus' answer? 
Nothing. He didn't answer it. So Jesus is the best example of certain times saying, you know what? It's time to debate the Pharisees and Sadducees. Other times the Bible says Jesus has walked away. Each situation is unique, and the Holy Spirit at that time will say, Megan, keep talking, be bold, be strong. Or the Holy Spirit will say, back off. It's just time to be done. Okay? Anybody else have anything? Ryan. Oh, agreed. The buffet Christianity and the wishy-washy stuff that people aren't teaching sound doctrine about sin anymore. They're just teaching, you know, the cotton stuff that people want to hear while saying, oh, that sin that used to be bad millennia ago, no, that's okay now. Yeah, and that's an, exactly what you said is absolutely right. What the church was not afraid to call sin a hundred years ago. A thousand years ago, we're afraid to call sin now because it steps on people's toes. And I've said this many times before. As a church, as a society, we're going to become the minority on many social issues. We already are the minority on many social issues. And so this is why we need to understand what doctrine is and what truth is to take a stand for truth. We really are the oddballs of society now. When it comes to most moral issues and what we believe the Bible teaches as wrong, society will not agree with. Not in any way whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. As you were talking, Marcus, it made me think of what it says in Isaiah that God's word does not return void. You know, I've gotten to the point where I text most of the time it's a scripture. You know, I'll be praying for you, I encourage you, I help you, but here's a scripture because God's word doesn't return void. My words will return void. They'll return empty. And I think there's a lot of times when we use God's word, the Holy Spirit says, I can use that. Remember what he said in John 14, 15, and 16. The Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance those things that I've taught you. So when we use God's word, automatically the Holy Spirit brings those things to remembrance. And I think that's why it's very powerful. Think about it says in Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. God's word cuts. It cuts. See, when I go up to somebody and I look at the situation they're in, and I say something to the effect of, well, you know, I looked at what you do, and I, and I, don't, I don't think you're right. Well, thanks, James, for your opinion. Now flip it around. I looked at the situation you're in, and God's word says this. I am now saying the creator of the universe is calling what you're doing sin. That carries a whole lot more weight than what James thinks. So, that's why I think it is important to make sure when you do the scripture, it's not wrong to say, well, I think this because it's a biblical thought. But you know what? Use the authority of the Bible behind it. Take a stand. Don't be afraid to do that. Anybody else have anything here before we move on? So, now we understand what sound doctrine is. So, what you see here in verse 9, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine to exhort and convict those who contradict. That's what he's using as his tool. This church is a mess, people. And so, therefore, Paul is saying, Titus, you've got to use doctrine. That's the only way you're going to think this through. This is the only way it's going to work. So, what makes this church a mess? Verse 10. There are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. This is a rough church. They're insubordinate, idle talkers, deceivers. Some of your translations, unruly, rebellious, vain, useless, meaningless words. 
There's a whole lot of talk going on in this church. And it wasn't biblical. It wasn't good. In fact, it was just flat out false teaching that was going on. And this is why Paul is telling Titus, get back to doctrine. It's truth. That is your foundation that you're laying. Here's the thing about what false teaching does. Verse 11. The mouths must be stopped who subvert whole households. Disrupt whole households. I have seen it. False teaching trickles down and affects an entire household. It does. You see it come in through mom. You see it come in through dad. And next thing you know, it's affecting the kids. I've seen generations get caught up in false teaching. That's what happens. And what Paul is telling Titus is, you've got to stop this now. You've got to stop this now. I'll tell you guys, that's a tough thing to do. There are certain things. I've been out here now. I've been teaching 19 years out here. There are certain things now. If somebody comes up and says, hey, what do you think of fill in the blank? Been around the block a few times. I'll stop him and say, I've been down that path before. Here's my concerns with that issue. I don't think it lines up with Scripture because here's what the Bible says. And every now and then things kind of just pop up every now and then. They make the circle. A few years ago, was Jesus was married to Mary Magdalene. Do you remember when that started making the circle? That was an easy one to shoot down. Jesus is married already to us. We're the bride of Christ, the Bible says. Sorry, Jesus already has a wife and it's me. I know that looks a little weird, but that's biblically what he's saying. Remember a few years ago where the guy said Jesus was returning in May? Okay, that was an easy one to shoot down too because the Bible says... No man knows the day or the hour. So just, just listen to me. If no man knows the day or the hour and someone's telling you the day and the hour, something's not lining up here for Scripture. But it's sometimes not even that. Sometimes it's this teacher. You've heard me say before, one of the worst questions you could ask me is, James, I heard this guy on TV. What do you think of him? Now, I had somebody do this to me one time because they know how much I hate those questions because I always feel like I'm putting the person down. They came up and said, this is the guy I like. Now, before you tell me what you think of him, please tell me you don't tell me you don't like him. What am I supposed to say to that? If it's false, it's false. What makes it false? Because it's not on the solid doctrine of God. Now, here's the problem with that. Well, what do you mean? I see him. He gets his Bible out every Sunday. He's reading right from the Bible. Yeah, I understand that. But we're not talking doctrine, we're talking opinions, we're talking twisting scriptures. Remember what Satan did. Satan quotes God a whole awful lot in the Bible. And he twists it. He twists it. Anything that anybody says, double check it with scripture. And that goes for me or anybody that teaches out here, double check it with scripture. If it doesn't line up with scripture, there's a problem. Why are they doing this type of false teaching? Verse 11, dishonest gain. Now, at this time, I usually have somebody stop and say, well, that right there, I know this person's out for dishonest gain. He doesn't collect any money. He doesn't want your money. Dishonest gain does not necessarily mean you want money. Sometimes you want power. You want prestige. You want glory. Some of the most dangerous teachers I've ever seen are not on TV. They're not on the radio. They host a little small group in their home and only has three or four people. But that person is so power hungry, you can't imagine it. They want the power, the prestige of their own little tiny group of followers. They're not looking for money. They're looking for followers. They're looking for the pride, the glory. Got to be careful. Some people are pretty animate. They want the money. Other people, that power, that prestige, that glory, that's not as noticeable. Not as noticeable. So what Paul is trying to tell Titus here is it's got to be focused on the doctrine. Be careful of verse 10. Be careful of those rebellious, unruly, just 
people that talk and deceive and false teaching. Verse 11, their mouths must be stopped. Don't be afraid to take a stand. Put your foot down and say, you know what? I don't see this in God's word. I don't see this lining up as scripture. It's time to be done with this. Because verses 12 and 13 that we've covered before, Paul was telling Titus, hey, this is true. Verse 13, rebuke them. Rebuke them. What else were they doing? Verse 13. Excuse me, verse 14. Not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. They like stories. They like a lot of stories. It always fascinates me how often teaching can turn into just Bible stories. Where we tell these stories from the Bible, but we don't teach them necessarily as truth. Now just think about this for a second. Do we really believe everything it's saying? I mean, do we really believe that there was a really big boat and only eight people were saved on it? And it took him probably 120 years to build it and God miraculously brought the animals to him? That's what the Bible says. Do we really believe those type of things? Do we really believe all these things? Because eventually it leads up to this point. Do you believe that there was a man who died on the cross who was also God, but then three days later rose from the dead? You know, Ryan mentioned earlier about that buffet Christianity. I know believers that, oh, I believe the resurrection. I believe that completely. But, you know, some of those Old Testament stories, I don't know. What did we read in 2 Timothy 3.16? All Scripture. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And so, therefore, we need to make sure in verse 14, we're not going to the fables and the stories of man, etc. Verse 15, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. There's a lot of stuff in those passages right there. So what is happening? Verse 16, they profess to know God, but in works they deny Him. Can you go with me real quick to Isaiah? Isaiah 29, please. Just listening to a teaching today on the radio. Teaching today on the radio quoted a recent survey where I think it said that 60% of all Americans claim to be born again saved Christians. 60%. I'm just telling you right now, if 60% of America is born again and saved, wow, there's a problem happening. What's the problem? I think the problem is found in Isaiah 29, 13. Therefore the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. What is he saying? They're saying the right thing with their lips, but their heart is not there. That is what we're talking about. This is what was going on in the church in Titus. They believed in God. They believed in Jesus. But their works were not following it. And this is why we went into Titus after our little brief study this summer on works. We're not talking about works that save us, works that keep us saved. We're not talking about works to pat ourselves on the back. We're talking about since I'm born again and saved in Jesus Christ, I have internally been changed in Christ. I need to now externally change how I live and act. So fine, your mouth can say the right thing. Where's your heart? Where's your heart? Because the heart is what the Lord is looking for. A lot of Christians talk it, but they don't walk it. They don't. They say the right things. And I tell you right now, I think those are the hardest people to talk to. The ones that know the truth, 
but they're not living it vibrantly for the Lord. They're not. Paul wrote about this in 2 Corinthians 13. You don't need to turn there. Examine yourselves as to whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? There's that word, disqualified. Why are we disqualified? Because our heart is really not His. So this is something that the Lord said thousands of years ago in Isaiah. This is something that the Lord said 2,000 years ago through Paul. There's a lot of hypocrisy going on. So Paul was writing to the church here, and he's telling Titus, listen, you've got a lot of people that are doing verse 16, professing to know God, but in works they deny Him. Now, we're trying to be straightforward with this book. This is why the first week we went through this, we've spent a lot of time talking about the word being blameless. We started with communion, if you remember correctly, a couple weeks ago. Please ask yourself, what are your lips saying versus what your actions are doing? That's really what we're talking about right now. Your lips are saying truth. Your lips are speaking sound doctrine. Amen. What are your actions showing the world? That's what we really need to focus on. That's what we need to really need to look at. Because what Paul was telling Titus is, hey, you've got a church that's going to tell you the right things. But their works are really denying him. Not just denying him. Look at the words that are used in verse 16. Abominable, disobedient, disqualified. Some translations instead of abominable say detestable. Detestable, disobedient, disqualified. Those are pretty powerful words. Paul says, I want your heart, Titus. Titus, I want you to teach them to want the heart of the Lord. And to say, I want you to be obedient to what the Lord is saying and doing. And Titus, this is how the church is supposed to do. So now what happens, starting next week, in verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, but as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. And that's what he gets into now. This is what it's supposed to look like now in practice. But we can't get to that point yet until our hearts are in the right spot. Now, have you got any quick questions, comments about anything here, about understanding now where Paul's going with this? Where's your heart at? Where's your testimony at? Where's your lips at versus where your actions are? Ryan. Uh, verse uh, 14, two examples. Uh, right, like the minute after you know, Christ's resurrection, they already were concocting the story that his disciples came and stole away the Yeah, not even that story. That's, that's true, that they were saying that the body was stolen away. At this time, there's this teaching called Gnosticism that is starting to go around. And they say what Gnosticism was was this, that Jesus was a man, and the spirit of the Messiah came upon Jesus. And so that when Jesus said, Into my uh, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, the spirit of the Messiah left Jesus. So for those three years that Jesus had public open ministry, that was the spirit of the Messiah that was on him. And this was a Jewish fable. And they went to the point of believing that when the spirit of the Messiah was on Jesus, he never touched the ground. He just floated you know, everywhere he went. Now you may say, okay, that's just a crazy idea. Yeah, but the problem is they took it this far then. What they started saying is that whatever you do in your flesh doesn't count because what matters is, is your spirit the Lord's. So they started teaching this teaching that you can do whatever you want with your body. Whatever you want. Drink whatever you want, sleep with whoever you want, act whatever you want, say whatever you want, because it's just flesh and it's dead. But as long as your heart loves the Lord. See, these were the Jewish fables. Now, what other Jewish fables were coming out? Paul comes right out and calls another Jewish fable the mutilation, forcing you to get circumcised to be saved. 
So this is what Paul is saying. Is Listen, this is all just a bunch of junk, verse 14. Giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. You've got to stay away from that false teaching. Why? Because it doesn't line up with the Bible. Seriously, just keep it so simple, everybody. The action I'm thinking about doing. Does the Bible say it's right or wrong? If the Bible says it's wrong, then I don't want to do it. Let's just keep it so simple. And this is what Paul is trying to tell Titus to teach them. Get back to the doctrine. Anybody else have anything here about doctrine or anything like that before we move on? Yeah, Lynette. In verse 16 where it says, but in which they No, I take that it'll be a little bit different. There's two ways, I think, for me personally, that you could take that passage. One way is, remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7? Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not cast out demons in your name? Do we not do these works in your name? But Jesus says, but away from me, I never knew you. So basically, their works were not really glorifying Jesus. Their works were not something that was, what the word I'm looking for here, done for the honor and glory of the Lord. They were doing it for themselves. They were doing that false salvation. But the way I kind of look at verse 16 is, yeah, I know the Lord, but the way I live my life is not backing that up. And works, I deny him. That's the way I kind of take that passage, is that I'm professing what is right, good, and true, but then how I'm living my life does not back up the way that that life is supposed to be lived. That's the way I take that. Kathy. There you go. New living, right? Yeah. Claim they know God, but deny Him by the way they live. And I think that goes in with what we said in the uh, Isaiah verse, that you profess me with your lips, but you deny me with your heart. And, and listen, I'm not trying to pick on people. I'm not trying to be mean. That is the typical Christian you're going to run into in America. It's just, I'm being honest. They say the right thing, but in their action and their lifestyle, you don't see anything different than the world. And this is where Paul is trying to tell Titus, there needs to be a difference in how we live. How we live. Which takes us to the final verse that I want to go through tonight. Verse 15. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and their conscience are defiled. Where do we stand with this? Are we pure or are we defiled? So what does it mean to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience are defiled. Think about what it says in Romans 16, 19. Love it. Romans 16, 19. We're supposed to be simple concerning evil. We're so focused on eternity. We're so focused on Jesus. We're so focused on doing what's right that I'm not even thinking about the evil, defiled part of the world. I just want to stay pure in the Lord. See, there's these terms I see a lot when it comes to churches about being current, about being relevant. You know, sometimes you can be current and relevant and you know too much. We just want to be Christ-like and righteous. That's what we want to be like. And sometimes we're not going to get the jokes. Sometimes we're not going to get the references. Sometimes we're not going to look real cool. We're not going to look real hip. It's okay with that. It's not that we're purposely trying to be weird. The Bible already says we're weird. Don't forget that. The Bible already calls you weird. They call you peculiar. They call us strange. This is not our home. So therefore, what happens is your kids, the way you live, the way you act, what you watch, what you listen to, you're going to go into work and you're probably going to find out it's really not a lot to talk about. Because I don't usually watch what they watch. I don't listen to what they listen to. And my kids aren't doing what their kids are doing. And so here we are again, the oddball Christians that can't relate. Well, you know what? Sometimes that's good. Verse 15, to the pure, all things are pure. Let's just stay pure. Let's be simple concerning 
evil, as it says in Romans 16. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. The non-believing world can take the most pure thing and turn it into something nasty and sinful. And I don't even need to give you examples of that because you already know what I'm thinking about. There's just nastiness and sinfulness all over. Things that are supposed to be pure and innocent all of a sudden become sinful in the eyes of the world. And the Lord, Lord has created good and it's been twisted around. And their mind and their conscience are defiled. How do you fix a defiled mind and conscience? They have to be born again. That's the only way it can be fixed. This is what the world is and this is how the world lives and acts. But as Christians, we're called to a different standard. What I want to finish with this is this great passage out of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. You can turn with me if you want. It's verses 14 and 15. I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation. Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Look at verse 14. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. See, that's how we're supposed to be. The world is so crooked and perverse that I'm living a clean, innocent life. It just doesn't even add up. It doesn't even look the same. But once again, how often as believers do we live like the world, talk like the world, act like the world, And then we wonder why the world does not see anything different in Christianity. This verse is so straightforward right there. One more time. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. This is what Paul is telling Titus to do. This is what Titus is now telling the church at Crete to do. And this is now what we're reading 2,000 years later, and the message is still the same. Be pure in an impure world through Jesus Christ. The people will see the difference, they'll see the change, and they'll ask. They'll mock, they'll make fun of, but they'll also ask. And it's a great opportunity to be a light and a witness in all that we say and all that we do. With that buildup, what we learned tonight was the idea of doctrine and the false teaching that's out there, how to battle that. And what we've also learned tonight is this idea of, listen, if you want to say you're a believer, we've got to live it. Live it. And it comes from the heart, from your heart that you want things to be different in your life. Once those things are established, doctrine in the heart, now we can get into chapter 2 next week and say, okay, let's put it into practice, church. This is what it looks like. Anybody have any final questions, comments about anything here before we go ahead and close up? All right. Hey, let's pray this into our lives. Lord, I, I just keep going back to that passage in Philippians. We want to do this, Lord. We want to live clean, innocent lives as children of God. We want to shine like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. We want to shine the love of you on anybody we meet. And we want to represent you by our lives, Lord. Blameless, pure lives. We know we're sinners. We need your grace. We need your love. We need your forgiveness. And Lord, we know we're going to stumble and fall in sin. Thank you for your forgiveness. But Lord, we want to be different in how we live and act to point people towards you. And we lift this up in your name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, if anybody's got anything they want to pray about, feel free to pop on up here, and we can definitely pray. Keep the church in prayer. Lots going on, and you guys have a good week, and God bless.